A very warm welcome to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond podcast and this is your host Dr. Vignesh Devraj. And in today's episode we have a truly enlightening conversation in store for you. Join me as I sit down with a remarkable guest Dr. Neha Sangwan MD. Dr. Neha isn't just an accomplished internal medicine physician, she is also an international speaker and a corporate communication expert. She is the CEO and founder of Intuitive Intelligence. and she is a pioneer in burnout recovery and empowerment in this episode dr neha and i engage in a compelling conversation that shines a light on burnout recovery and our focal point is also her upcoming book powered by me which is about strategies to recover from burnout our discussion begins with a profound exploration of dr neha's personal journey throughout burnout She shares her relatable and inspiring story of overcoming burnout as a physician and we uncover the subtle signs of burnout and how it can creep into our lives. Dr. Neha provides actionable advice on recognizing these early signs, empowering you to effectively address and prevent burnout. So get ready to be inspired and enlightened as we delve into the realms of burnout recovery and holistic well-being. Meanwhile don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for more episodes and now we go over to Neha Here we go welcome back Neha now you have become a frequent flyer in my podcast I'm <laughs> looking forward for the conversations Me too great to be reconnected So Neha I am excited about your upcoming book and also glad to hear that such a huge pre-sales order I mean pre-order sales sorry They're starting. They're starting. I'm uh I'm getting excited. I I think that this might be, you know, a topic that the world it's meeting the timing of the world. Mm. And so I think that is probably some of the interest that's being generated. Fantastic. Just for the listeners to understand, we are going to talk about burnout. And could you please describe about the the how you titled it because I love the title of the book that you've kept. Mm. Sure, it's called Powered by Me from burned out to fully charged at work and in life. Mm-hmm. And there were many reasons that I chose that. Um I think that the next generation is a generation mm-hmm. that's been raised on devices. Mm-hmm. And so there's the powered by me, right? We know mm-hmm. that we wouldn't expect our devices to work if we didn't plug them in at night. uh the nights we forget we say oh my fault like of course it's not going to work for me until i get it charged and i wanted people to realize that you too your own biology requires that downtime and that charging also and not just your physical body but also your mental emotional social and spiritual aspects of you uh mm-hmm. require that check in And so the book is called Powered by Me because I also believe that the greater picture here I'm starting a whole corporate wellness program and community work uh where it's going to be bridging me we world. I think mm-hmm. we've lost our connection to ourselves and to each other and that's draining us of energy. Mm-hmm. And the book is really about you wherever you are on the spectrum from burned out to fully charged. figuring out where you have a net gain or a net drain of energy on a physical mental emotional social and spiritual level because everybody gets to burn out in their own unique way as unique as your fingerprint will be the path that led you to feeling drained mm. 
and it includes all of our choices and our uniqueness and uh, what we're really good at and we focus more time on, what we're not so good at and we might avoid. And so this book is about identifying what is this overwhelm, this global epidemic? How do we personalize it to the reader? And then how do we give them practical and powerful tools to heal? Fantastic. I think what's going to make this book quite unique is your own background, coming from an engineering background and a medical background and a full-time independent working, uh, you know, coming from the background of India and then, you know, making it big in the United States. I mean, all of this, the diversity of information, I'm really curious how it's going to evolve in that book. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, now now I can see it much clearer. I think I would tell you I'm a, a very good people-pleasing Indian child. So, you know, dad, dad wanted me to be a son and an engineer. Mom wanted me to be a physician because her parents never let her become a doctor. They said, what kind of wife and mother will you be if you're always on call? And so I wanted to make everybody happy. So I did all of that. But really what it taught me this book uses the practicality of an engineer mm -hmm. to combine the science of medicine, you know, with the art of communication and the practicality of an engineer to bridge our worlds. And I think a lot of people are struggling with the, the pace of change, chaos, overwhelm, uh, and everything just moving faster and faster in our world. And I think what I've really tried to do here is just simplify it. Uh, more than simplify it, because it is complex, it's more like demystify it. Mm -hmm. Demystify it. Like, this is what burnout is. These are the phases you go through, and this is how you will know. And when you're here, if it's not you, pay attention to those you love and lead. Because it's all of our collective jobs now to raise everyone together. Right? So I think it's... It's called Powered by Me, but really this Bridging Me We World idea that I spoke to you about, I mm -hmm. know we're all interconnected. And if we're, many of us are this depleted, then all of us need to be paying attention. So where did this burnout concept start? I think it was in the late uh, or early 1970s, the first burnout was coined in New York. Could you please share your uh, research sure. work on that? Yeah, and so it it began with researchers discovering really that stress was a thing. Mm. What is stress, right? What is this thing that organisms uh, experience? Uh, and when researchers started figuring out, oh, wow. I mean, here's the most shocking. Here's the bottom line that people need to know. Stress causes or exacerbates more than 80% of all illness. And the bottom line there is really about um, we treat in traditional medicine, we really focus on the symptoms and numbing your symptoms. So uh, oftentimes we fall into the trap of believing things like, you know, Advil, your, you know, your headache is an Advil deficiency. Uh, depression that's is a Prozac like. deficiency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, I think as a society, we want quick fixes and we look for them. So way back in the early 1900s, when antibiotics, right, uh, became a thing, we thought, good, we can pick something like a microbe under a microscope, 
outside of us. And then we can have this thing that takes care of it. And then we don't have these infections anymore. That's always great when it works like that. But then we forget about how the actual body works. And our body's actually built for stress. It's mm. built for fight or flight. It's so built to get us out of danger. And I think what's happened over time really is that we have started to not trust our bodies as much and focus on honing our body, our own intuition, knowing when our heart's racing, our stomach's turning, our muscles are tightening, giving us the protection, right? Like, oh, mm -hmm. brace yourself, something you're moving from your comfort zone into your learning zone or your panic zone. Our bodies are always communicating with us. And I don't think that we have really evolved in using our body. We now push through it rather than partner with it. And we're in a world where we look so much with social media and uh, externally, we want to keep up with everybody else and be doing the things that everybody else is doing and society's definition of success. Um, you know, you said, you know, you've, you've had all these accomplishments. Well, it certainly made my grandparents quite proud. And it was a talking point in the Indian community for sure. Here's, you know, she's an engineer, she's a doctor, uh, she's a coach. And by the way, her name is Neha and she's our granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> and I really want us to think a little bit about what matters most because of everything um, that I've learned and studied and done, probably my relationship with my body has been the most pivotal, has mm. been the most powerful, has been the thing that has given me everything I want in my life, in my relationships. Uh, when I take care of me, I have boundaries that of self-care, I teach other people how to treat me. When I'm ignoring my own needs, guess what? Other people are putting their things on me too. And I'm like drowning. Hmm. And, you know, you know, this Vignesh, we, we both come from the Indian culture where one, one thing I would say is, you know, part of how I was raised was I never say no to family, hmm. family. It's like anything for family. Right. And I've actually had to learn a little bit around that. I've had to learn uh, that I can say things like, hey, what works for me is this. What doesn't work is this. Like, I'm actually on a family vacation right now. Mm -hmm. And I have my own place here. I have my, uh, now that was unheard of in my previous life. <laughs> but why did I do it? I did it because I don't want to be, raising my voice at the younger generation who's screaming and laughing and playing in the hot tub because I have a podcast. <laughs> I want to, you know, I want them to be free and I want to be able to do my podcast and then be able to join them for lunch or dinner mm -hmm. and be able to do these things. Uh, last night, I asked my niece Simran, would you like to come and have a slumber party at Neha Masi's place right up the street? And so then it's become this fun thing. But in the beginning, it was a little hard for me to draw boundaries hmm. because people were saying, why are you separating yourself from us? Why are you doing these things? I don't think of it as really separating myself. I think of it as what I need to do to have an, to say an inspired yes, that I will come. Hmm. You bet I'll come on vacation with you. What then I need to think about what does my body need for, for rest and food? 
and and space? What do I have planned? How can I say yes? Oh, I can say yes if I got my own place just up the road and I got a car, then I can say yes. So this whole idea of burnout is, um, it's really about uh, us using old patterns, old ways that no longer work for us, but it causing, putting undue stress on us that makes us think we must behave in a certain way, when in fact, what we need now is something different. And so the researchers, uh, you know, once stress was coined, and then uh, the researchers, Christina Maslach and uh, Michael P. Leiter, they started doing much research on what is this thing called burnout? And where does it happen? And they, they came up with a lot of examples around work, that it's unmanaged stress at work. And, um, you know, when I burned out in 2003, there was not even a definition. It wasn't even really considered a real thing. In fact, there was a lot of judgment against me that maybe I couldn't hack it. Maybe mm. I couldn't handle it. Maybe I was the one who failed. And I looked and I saw, oh, there's just these loose definitions about some chronic stress uh, that occurs. And there's some, maybe a few symptoms that people, exhaustion, it wasn't well-defined at all. It wasn't until 2019 that the World Health Organization is willing to say that this is actually, you know, unmanaged stress in the workplace. It's literally a syndrome, uh, but it's not like a medical diagnosis. And so therefore we were never taught in medical school about burnout. Although I can say almost all of us were burned out the whole time. Hmm. So uh, this is a relatively new thing. And here's where I will openly say, I think there's room for the World Health Organization to grow in their understanding of this. Hmm. After experiencing it myself and helping thousands and thousands of patients in the last 20 years, healthcare providers and patients, I'll tell you, it's not just related to work. Someone can have be going through a tough time in their marriage. They can be having a tough time with their child. They can have a special needs child. They can have aging parents and young children, and they can be burned out. And mm -hmm. so really, to me, it's about energy. It's about you have 100% of your energy and wherever it is having a net gain, uh, drain of energy, whether it's personal or professional, it matters because it impacts your overall ability to function. Mm. So I have some, you know, a little bit different ideas now that I have experienced it and gone through it. Uh, and I hope that it can really help a lot of people who are suffering. And when you say it's just not stress. I mean, there are few reasons why people burn out. And the, the worst thing that you can tell a person who is burnout out, it's, it's in your mind, you're just being lazy or you, know, you need to have a mindset of hard work, these things. And maybe yeah. you're escaping the hard work. That's why you're getting burnout. And this is the worst thing you can tell a person suffering with burnout because they are actually working too hard. Maybe not smart, but they're definitely working too hard, but maybe not in the right areas or maybe maybe they don't have the right ecosystem where they feel like thriving. I think the best example is, you know, if a plant is growing and if the plant is seeing not healthy, maybe you need to keep the plant near the sunshine or maybe that is not the best place. 
instead yeah. of questioning something is wrong with the plant what is the ecosystem of the plant i think what uh, even you know i think you were writing those uh, while you were in sitara when you were discussing about the ecosystem of a person how much that is important for a person's thriving ability and not just survival and i think yeah. the burnout is a lot about certain areas maybe we could control but many things are beyond our scope of control or as well yeah so the way i think of really any complex problem is me we world mm so i think about what are the factors that are within the individual what patterns might they have outgrown mm-hmm. what coping mechanisms that may have worked previously might not be working in this family in this job in this situation so there's a me component then there's the we component which is mm-hmm. what environment are you in is it a toxic culture is it a dysfunctional culture is there bullying is there uh are people driving you very hard but not listening to what you need and then there's the world do we have a global pandemic that sweeps the world is there a hurricane a tsunami there's so there's in any complex problem i really like to think about it as me we world and i also like to look at the solutions in what is most effective and needed right now short term and long term what are the yeah. impacts of that so what i would say here is this is part of the reason i think the world wants to confine burnout and their definitions to work mm. because if you don't employers then will say oh you're the problem you're the it's your fault you can't hack it look everybody else is doing it why can't you do it mm. so the blame of blaming the individual i think i i very much agree with you is a mistake mm. that is not true because you're right most often your highest achievers and performers and uh, you know effort is coming from the people who end up burning out mm. now i was one of those people when i in back in 2004 uh i was a real people pleaser i grew up in a family where um you know how we all share uh in indian families we hand children around in an extended family and everybody's taking care of them well my parents my grandfather got stationed in africa um for the un he had an assignment there and my grandmother at 3 months old took me with her she was the one taking care of me she said i'll i'll take neha too and so she took me 3 months to 2 years old i lived with them in africa well at 2 years old when i came back to my own you know what was my actual family my older sister who was 3 and a half my parents well i didn't know who these people were nor did i want anything to do with them once i stopped crying took me about a month once i stopped crying about i can't leave my grandparents I found myself in a situation where I had a 3 and a half year old sister who for whom I was not a baby I was a 2 year old who thought she was an only child. So she didn't really like me there because now I was causing a split in parental love. I learned very quickly that if I wanted to survive in this family, I better look around me and I better figure out how to please the people around me mm. and keep peace. And when i really realized i wasn't going back to who i thought my parents were this was a big turning point for me as a young child because now i shut down my emotions i shut down communication and i went to pleasing well now i'm 33 years old i'm in a hospital environment 
and the the actual hospital runs understaffed on a regular basis and people are saying so and so called in sick can you take the night shift can you do? right away i was like i'll do it i'll do it right so is there a component that has to do with me yes there is and is there a we component the component that Sometimes businesses and hospitals chronically understaff what's happening without a backup plan and a backup schedule for who calls in sick. And they rely on my good faith and desire to be of service and take an oath to take care of patients. And they use that goodness to then have me now as part of this experience. Now, listen, nobody forced me. But the system in itself sometimes is a little dysfunctional hmm. and it, it survives because I also have a part in me that wants to please and be a good girl and get an A and have my teammates think I'm a great partner, right? But yet I have learned along the way not to take care of myself, that helping somebody else through their physical crisis is more important than my own self-care. And then, you know, there's a crisis that occurs in the community. And now lots of client patients are being brought in by ambulance. And now I certainly, even though I haven't been able to sleep for 30 hours, I certainly can't go home now. I mean, I must take care of the world piece of this. That allegiance, that pushing through our bodies, not partnering with it, it happens on many levels. And they all, all these pieces fit together to create the global epidemic that we are currently experiencing. So mm. I just gave you one example of how that worked for me. So when I was 33 years old, I literally walked in and I burned out. I could not function. And while I felt it was an enormous failure, I can certainly tell you now it was a wake-up call to the truest life, the most authentic, incredible uh, life of service where I can partner with me so that I can serve you. Yeah. I think, you know, like soldiers, they are trained during their training time. It's one of the best thing to die in the battlefield. Mm. So like that, there are many people I've seen, I've seen even doctors telling, if I die, I want to die on my OT table. OT table is like, were they doing their <laughs> consultations like they have this mindset yeah. and i have friends who believe in that like if i die i want to die in my during my work like it's so, a badge of honor exactly yeah. uh, like you're a martyr and you're glorified yeah 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 i think that comes sometimes it it helps you to be very motivated and creative but if it's costing your health then i think we should revise those analysis and you know rewire ourselves to do, to a better narrative in your body with your work with your own priorities with life and health yeah Neha, how do you know if somebody is having a burnout like how does it creep in you know like we say yeah. before before the body screams there'll be a whisper yes what will be those whispers that we need to be really, really aware of okay so let me let me give our audience a little bit of framing so what is burnout? The way burnout is defined, it's a triad. So burnout is about exhaustion, mm -hmm. often 
is ongoing physical, mental, emotional exhaustion. Now, if that's all it was, probably the whole world would be burned out, right? Mm. A lot of us have been through so much. But there's a second component that creeps in after some time, and it's cynicism. Mm. It's that moment where you start to believe that no matter how hard you work, no matter what, how hard you try, it's not going to really make a difference. Mm. So when cynicism starts to creep in, you know you've been exhausted for quite some time. Because now you're starting to turn on your own self in the sense that you're feeling you're not accomplishing what you are working hard to do. Mm-hmm. In that space, oftentimes people start distancing themselves and isolating themselves from social engagement because it's just too much energy. They're in self-preservation. And then what happened to me uh, in June of 2004 is the third element, which is ineffectiveness. You have now, I was literally, I walked in, was working for five hours, only saw two patients out of 18. And I turned to the nurse and I said, Nina, could you please give 40 milliequivalents of IV potassium to the gentleman in 636? And she said to me, Dr. Sangwan, are you okay? And I said, why? And she's, and it was the first indication that I had that I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I had no awareness that for five hours, I had only gotten through two patients. I just kept going. I was powering through. She said to me, that's the fourth, that's the fifth time you've asked. No, fourth time you've asked me in under five minutes, the same question. And I've answered you every time. Mm. And I was stunned. And that's the third element of burnout, which is ineffectiveness. So now I've literally hit a wall where I'm not processing. There is no computing happening. And so you will be happy to know, my patients will be happy to know that that day I was put on stress leave, right? Mm. And given a prescription for Prozac and sent home. And I remember driving home and I was looking at the Prozac on my See, something I had prescribed for people, you know, and I believe it is useful for the right person, for the right ailment at the right time, for the right length of time. Um, So I'm not against it, but I just kept thinking to myself, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I don't think it's a Prozac deficiency. Something's wrong, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. So I put it in my drawer and I started working with a psychiatrist helping me understand these behaviors that had been embedded in me very young after I had that trauma of returning and leaving my nani and nana, how I was willing to do anything to please the world around me so no one would send me away again. Mm. I only understand that now. That two-year-old just knew she had to figure out how to survive. And she decided, oh, the world reveres me for academics, athletics. If I achieve, they will love me. And then maybe I'll never have to fear being left again. And I became a tennis player. I did engineering. I did medical school. That drove me for a very long time until I hit that wall of burnout. Hmm. And now I understand that the world can be impressed if they'd like to be. Those are accolades that get me in the door, door many places. 
But the real work, the real work was me coming back to understanding who am I? What do I value? What patterns in my life serve me and no longer serve me? And what would I like to take forward so that I can elevate to the next level of performance, uh, the next level of happiness, the next level of health connection. And now I am very, very different. What I teach around communication and our inability to communicate with ourselves and each other, making us physically ill, I can now say things with much more confidence and clarity because I've experienced them. So I use the, you know, the science of medicine and engineering with the art of communication to, to help us say, no, this vehicle, this beautiful vehicle that we are in called our human body, this, it's the most sophisticated technology I've ever known. Nothing in engineering or medicine, you know, came close uh, and it knows how to heal us. And that's why I love coming to, you know, Sita Ram. Uh, we'll be back again this fall uh, in the winter time to see you. Yeah, because listen, I, I do a lot in my life and I need to really do wellness every day. And then I need to take breaks that are scheduled mm-hmm. uh, for my own health and clarity. That's fantastic, Neha. I mean, coming from your own experience, I think that's going to make this, uh, your prescription much more empathetic. Okay. For me, um, before I did Panchakarma on myself, Mm -hmm. the doctor I was, was a very unempathetic doctor. (laughs) After doing Panchakarma on myself and then explaining to a patient how it is, it's a world of difference. So I think your journey in healing can make you the best healer or bring out the best healer in you. I would put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that I am not to blame and Mm -hmm. I also know that I played a role in this Mm -hmm. and I feel that when we get off balance, we're doing too much of one thing. It's telling us that something else needs to be healed that we Mm -hmm. may not be paying attention to. And so, yeah, I agree. You're, um, yeah, I've, I must have only known you after you did your panchakarma because I have only found you uh, to be very empathic about the mm. treatments and about explaining it and uh, caring deeply. And I, I do think that's right, that it's easier to judge people, mm. judge others when we ourselves uh, either have not experienced it or are very self-critical of mm. ourselves. And I tell parents to be very careful how you speak to your children, because mm. your outside voice will eventually become their inside voice. Mm. Because that's the script that they're going to learn. They're going to learn it and they're going to believe it. And they're never even going to realize that it's not their voice. And it so becomes, speak, puts them on an autopilot. It does. And so speak to them. In the ways when you are not around that you hope they speak to themselves. If they're going to make a mistake and you say, you idiot, what are you doing? Well, when they're on the tennis court and they miss a ball, they will say those same words to themselves. And what if you said instead to them, you know, um, good try, good try, do it. You'll get to do it again. Try it again. You'll do great. Right. You want them to be programmed with that self-compassion, with Mm. that 
caring nature with the grace to give themselves the ability to make a mistake and try something new. Mm -hmm. You know, but if we're hard on ourselves, we naturally are very hard on others. And so whether you're a leader, a leader, whether you're a parent, whether you're a friend, think about what you would say to your best friend if yep. they came to you and they were struggling. Don't we say, oh, come on, you, you did your best. You tried hard, you know, you, great effort. You'll do it again and you'll do it even better. We're it's like, always like need- that. To us, we are so critical, but to others, we could be empathetic. <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, as parents with children, I see this the most that that comes out. Mm -hmm. And I I really want that special message to anyone listening who who is a parent, because, you know, my parents are amazing. And I'm not sure they went through any of this training uh, in in how their own fears got embedded in me and how it's taken me many years to realize that's not my voice. And that was a lot of my healing from burnout. I wasn't a failure. Uh, I didn't not, you know, meet the expectations of the world. I was in fact cracking open. Burnout was a wake up call where I, I needed to know who I really was. And it was time to up level. Hmm. I had outgrown what I had been taught. When it looks like, you know, you are entering that stage of burnout and you, your, your ability to perform is being low. Is there a way you can burn out proof yourself? What mm. would you recommend there? All right. So earlier you asked me about the symptoms of burnout and I explained what burnout is, right? Mm. The exhaustion, cynicism, and ineffectiveness. The other thing I want to tell listeners is that there's three phases of burnout that we go through. The first one is the alarm phase. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like you're jumping on a treadmill that's going a little too fast and your, your heart skips a beat. You get that rush of adrenaline and you might sweat a little bit, but you get your footing. Mm -hmm. It's that type of an experience when your life up levels, perhaps Mm -hmm. when you get a new job, you're moving, you're uh, got promoted, you have children, you're getting married, whatever it is, you're, uh, it's like big change. Then if you don't, it's fine in your life if if you do that, and then you figure out a way to also then go back to taking care of yourself and you go back to your regular pace. Now that's the alarm phase. If the alarm phase continues, however, and it just becomes your new way of life, slightly going higher and higher on the treadmill, mm-hmm. you move into the second phase of burnout called adaptation phase. Mm-hmm. And the adaptation phase is where you're barely hanging on. You start to notice that you're already tired, but the weekend isn't enough to feel recharged anymore. You might go on a vacation, but you come back and you don't really feel rested. You wake up in the morning, even though you've had seven, nine hours of sleep, and you don't feel ready to take on the day. So these are some of the signs that start to happen. You snap at people, and you're a little bit surprised by your own irritability. Hmm. then this distancing yourself from people. No, why don't we just stay home? Because I just don't have the energy to engage, right? You start to notice this, this isolation start happening. Here's another way you can really notice that burnout's happening. 
We all use coping mechanisms, and I'd love to hear some of yours. When I was doing those 36-hour shifts in the hospital, my coping mechanism was a 16-ounce ice-cold, two 16-ounce ice-cold Mountain Dews and a king-size Snickers bar, and you could get me through 36 hours without sleeping with that much sugar and caffeine. Now I think it would kill me. But uh, back in, you know, that invincibility when I was in my 20s and 30s, I used energy I grabbed energy from anywhere I could get it Hmm. because taking care of patients and me being awake and alert was more important to me than how I was treating my body. So when you have a deadline, you got to push through things. Oh, chai is another one for me. Of course. Uh, I, I sometimes while I was writing the book, uh, had upwards of three, you know, cups of chai in a day, but what are some of your, uh, you know, younger coping mechanisms and maybe some that you even use now? I mean, when I look back, I mean, some of the most difficult times for me were I almost reached a burnout was the beginning days of Sitaram. Like mm. when I found out that place and then was starting with eight rooms and you're just getting to build the team and the first patients are arriving and you're the doctor, you're the manager, you are the, <laughs> sometimes the driver forgets to pick up the patient. So I have to go and pick up or the driver doesn't show up. So, so I mind they would start at morning five o'clock because we need to do the Vamana therapy for patients. So I will be there because I was a control freak. I wanted to make sure they do it. The the patients get the best. So I show up at five o'clock, making sure the patient does the Vamana. And then yoga teacher may not show up. Then I go and teach the yoga and then the consultation starts. And then you have to, and by 10 o'clock, you're dead. Then I realized within four or six weeks, I lost so much weight and my Mm -hmm. appetite is gone. And sometimes patients would come and ask me, are you okay, doctor? It, wow. it went on to that level. And wow. Then I realized what I'm teaching and what I'm practicing. I'm, I became like a hypocrite doctor. This was one of my feelings. That is when I, I realized this is not healthy and I had unhealthy coping mechanism. We used to get this bars called Kit Kat. <laughs> Those are in my nanny's purse all yes. the time. And yep. sometimes uh, you don't have time to eat because you... And it's again... I was not forced into it. I voluntarily opted to be like that because I wanted to make sure that everyone who is coming and I used to think patients are coming all the way from Europe and they would be keeping one month's salary to do their program in Sitaram. And it's, they come with a huge expectation. I could see that the day they come and I want this pain to go away and the allopathic system is not working. So I take all that pain and it took me some time to realize to have that boundary. You don't have to do everything. And And the most important lesson is trust in people. You know, others can also do, maybe they do it better than you. Yeah. And And trust in the human body. Exactly. Yeah. And I think my coping mechanism was somewhere I felt that I am working hard. I'm doing something revolutionary. Yes, I'm doing something revolutionary, but I'm working hard. But I was wasting my energy in many non-productive issues and i was my own boss i didn't have to report to anyone yeah yes of course my patient you were the toughest boss you ever had yes and (laughs) i realized my work was my coping mechanism from something else i will prove something yes 
and i realized what are you trying to prove by doing this and it's if it's costing your health you can't sleep you're lost weight and i still remember those photos of me in 2015 and 16 i looked like i had some malnourishment disease <laughs> yeah yeah well see that's how it highlights for us that we're out of balance mm. and so there's a there's you know a net drain of energy whether it's in your relationships in your bank account or in your sleep mm. is not sustainable or mm. biologically, right? It's not sustainable. And sometimes we have to go through these experiences. You know, I had to literally, I could not get the message until I hit that brick wall of burnout. Mm. You had to have people outside you saying, doctor, are you okay? <laughs> Just like that nurse said to me, Dr. Sangwan, are you okay? Because oftentimes we're so wrapped up in the peace that we're trying to prove or heal or please, whatever it is, that we've lost sight of our own balance and integration. Mm. It'll show up and that's a gift. That's a gift. It's not a failure. It's a wake-up call. It, it is. And sometimes I used to think, oh, I'm really sorry about this. Just give me one minute. And coming to that point, there was a time I remember uh, we used to get a lot of, when we still get a lot of patients from Switzerland and Germany, but, and they have a very strict culture of Sundays off. Mm. They don't work on Sundays. I think uh, except for the church and train stations, everything is closed in Switzerland on Sundays. Wow. And and if, if the sun could have a holiday, I think even sun will have a holiday. I mean, <laughs> it, it looks like deserted on a Sunday. You, you can't do anything there. It took some time for me to understand how important that is, you know, in the beginning, when Sunday everything is so closed, why are people like this? And you, uh, and then when we get Swiss patients, and few patients saw me that I'm working on all the days, and I'm not, I'm working on Sunday, I'm working on Monday. They were there for two and a half weeks, and I was there on all the days. And they asked me, "Don't you ever take a day off?" And I used to take pride in saying, "No, I work every day." And I yeah. think this pride was a wrong approach. And it was not the right thing to do. I'm, uh, of course, you should be committed to your work. You have to you know, deliver that. But somewhere, if you also need to learn to take your days off and relax and let go. And I think that's one of the key messages every person who's going through burnout will eventually learn it the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, I just spent the summer in Italy and um, I was finishing my manuscript and I knew I had so much work to do. And I kept asking myself, if I'm going to tell the world that they can go from burned out to fully charged, when I turn this manuscript in to the publisher, mm -hmm. what would it look like mm -hmm. for me to be fully charged? So I brought my assistant, uh, my boyfriend, my mom, and I took, we all went there for six weeks and we stayed at, in Lake Como and nature every morning, the mountains, the water. Uh, my mom said it reminded her of Nanithal. Mm. She said it really reminded her when she was young of this, but it was quiet from you know, the morning until about four o'clock, because in the U.S., no one woke up 
until, you know, much, much later. So my day didn't start until 4 p.m. So I would get up, I would do my whole routine, I would take care of myself, I would do my work, I would journal, I would really, it created such beautiful space. And then I would do my work, right, from four to nine or, or, or however the hours were. And then it naturally stopped because it was nighttime and I wasn't going to be working after nine, 10 o'clock. And so it was a very interesting way to slow my world down uh, by my schedule and by being in nature. And so I think for each person, uh, and I can say I did it. I turned in the manuscript of the book. I felt very held, very fully charged on every level. I was with people I loved. I was in an environment physically that I loved. I was taking care of myself and there was a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. And because I was with everybody, you know, I took um, my weekends off. I I did the things that um, I would do on uh, uh, when I'm away, right? We must spend a day on the boat. Of course, we must do these things, right? So I think you're right that the younger version of ourselves often tries to prove something mm-hmm. and figuring out what it is, who we need to be credible to, who we who we're proving it to is a very important question to ask ourselves because oftentimes it's this amorphous you know voice or we overheard someone once saying you know you need a million dollars in the bank to be successful or whatever it is you need to be the the president or the ceo of xyz then you're relevant in the world are those your voices or are they someone else's voice what's really driving you uh, and sometimes burnout becomes our teacher. That's so true. Once, you know, I was doing a interaction with some of my students. I was doing a mastermind program. Uh, so one patient asked me, Doctor, with all these experience that you had, what would you define as your approach to health and happiness? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, okay, is it money? Is it financial security? Is it uh, robust health? So I, I think I came down to this one single thing. I can go to sleep effortlessly at night and I wake up fresh in the morning. Mm. I think once you have these two things, you know, you're going to sleep at night easily and you wake up fresh in the morning. That means everything oh. else is simply beautiful. I think these are the yeah. two benchmarks I, I could zero it down to. I love that because you're not just talking about physically that you're in balance. Mm. Because now you've, during the day, you've taken care of the external to-do list. And at night, you take care of the internal to-do list, right? Of your body repairing itself, helping your immune system, memory consolidation and emotional processing that must happen while you're sleeping. Then it also means that you are at peace mentally Mm -hmm. because you don't have anxiety keeping you up at night. Exactly. You have emotional peace uh, because then only can you sleep. And then there's this whole, you know, spiritual relaxation when you can surrender, when you can let go, you know, you're exactly on time. Yep. I'm exactly where I need to be. And it's time for a good night's rest. (laughs) I love that. So it means it's such a simple uh, bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. It's a simple benchmark. Uh, and that's probably why we're having so many people struggling with sleep, Mm. uh, as well, because it, 
However you are out of balance, wherever there is a net drain of energy, it's connected and shows up in other areas of your life. And really it can show up physically. Uh, Sleep is one of the big ones. You know, it can show up as weight gain, weight loss. It can show up, you know, as a physical ailment. You know, it can show up so many ways. So I love that. That's, uh, I, I may, I may need to use that one. Although I will tell you, I have low thyroid. And so usually by the end of the day, it's good for me to go to bed and I do feel better, uh, in the morning, but you're right. Uh, if I'm emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually in unrest, I don't sleep well. Mm. So great marker, great marker. I love it. And Neha, writing this book, what did you learn more about yourself? Mm. Oh, so much. So it, my burnout was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I noticed is as a physician, I had never been taught about this thing called burnout. What shocked me even more is that my colleagues knew nothing about it and we all judged each other. Companies often send people who are burned out to the, like we have an employee assistance program that then sends you to a doctor. Hmm. The typical prescription that a doctor will give you is 10 days or one month time off. Hmm. Some cocktail of prescriptions, an antidepressant, anti-anxiety, or sleep medication. Mm-hmm. And if they're very progressive, they will say, maybe you can do some stress management or talk therapy. Mm. That's rare. Or maybe some yoga. Now, 10 days or two, you know, a month later, you're sent back in the ring for round two with not a lot of skills to be able to do it differently and create an a different outcome. And when I understood that, I was just shocked because I realized I had to figure out how to get out of this. And that's what the last 20 years have been. So the last six plus years has been me writing this book. And some of the most important lessons I've learned is how not to burn out while writing a book on burnout. Um, another lesson that I learned was my father, who's retired now, who was always so busy, you know, and important out in the world, which might have been where I learned to perform without him saying a word. I just watched him as a busy executive on planes and trains and automobiles. He was always going somewhere. Him and I got to read the book cover to cover three times as I was going through and editing and all of this. And I would say that um, we bonded on a level that I have never known. Mm. That my father, who was much more about doing and thinking, he's an engineer, uh, really helped. He asked me questions. He told me there were things he didn't know about me. And he, you know, he even apologized you know, saying, I can feel how emotional I am, but saying, maybe I didn't give you the best role model. Mm -hmm. And so really what I've learned in this experience is to be kind to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Our, Our parents do the best job they know how with what they know at the time. 
He was an immigrant. My mom and dad were immigrants. They were working all the time to give my sisters and I a good education, a good foundation. So maybe sometimes they weren't there as emotionally as I needed them to be. Maybe they didn't communicate in a way that I would have liked. Maybe they didn't like me drawing boundaries. All of these things are the lessons I believe we learn through the different phases. And I, you know, we got to have conversations about apologizing to each other and forgiveness. Mm. Um, so when you write a book, to me, if you're going to write a book that's going to really make an impact in the world, the process is one of self-healing. It's one of healing with your community. It's one of learning and growing and making things practical and simple for the reader. But it's also deeply personal. And that's really, you know, it's some of the some of the big lessons I learned. I learned that there were things I still didn't know as a physician after all these years. And so I called in the experts. I called in, you know, it was only last year that as an Indian doctor, I took the time out to come and do Ayurveda for a month, mm -hmm. right? How can that be? How can I be writing these books and not know my own heritage and my own ways of healing? And so uh, there were many, many things that I learned. Um, uh, when you write a book, you also learn some people would like to be anonymous and they don't want, they want their name changed and, and things you never knew. Like, oh, yeah. I didn't think it was a big deal. It sounds like you have a different boundary around that. And I speak about my family. You know, I got bullied by my older sister, Ritu, um, for many years. And I wrote in there about the bullying. And then I knew also knew that if I was going to share how this played out in my life, that it was also my responsibility to give that manuscript to Rithu and have her read it and have her say to me, my question to her is, is there anything that I've said is untrue? Is there anything that you remember differently that I, a detail that I've forgotten or any of this? And she said, no, she read it. She gave it back. She said, no, you're right. This is what happened. And uh, I appreciate, you know, you sharing it with me. And so Anna, when you're doing this and you're sharing not only your story, but where you intersect with other people, there's a level I feel of responsibility and connection to A, let them know that this is going out into the world. <laughs> mm -hmm. And B, um, have these important conversations to heal yourself, heal your own health, and to heal your relationships. And so I called in experts. You know, Param Dadia is one of my dear friends who's a sleep expert. I didn't know enough about sleep to write a book and write an entire chapter on it. Mm -hmm. This man could write an entire volume of books on sleep. And so I think what I learned was to ask for help. If I was going to be in service to the world and I didn't know something, my job was to ask for help. And so that's not what we're taught as doctors, right? We're the ones who are supposed to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I wanted people to know in this book, my I wanted to share my learning process and I wanted other physicians and healers to know it's okay if we don't know. Let's just say we don't know rather than act like we do. Oh, and I'm still That's figuring it out. Yeah, and let's figure it out together because we're smart. We can figure this out. And the world is struggling right now. And they're depending on us to do it. Mm -hmm.
I think that's also one of the reasons why doctor's profession is called I'm in my practice because it's a it's a never ending practice. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. They're teaching us as much as uh hopefully we're helping them. So I think that's right. I never thought of it that way, but a practice is something that you would do over and over again to get better and better uh, at it. And I think when we try to hide that aspect of it, um, we're shortchanging ourselves. And I think patients trust us less. Hmm. You know, when we can just be uh, on their level and be, uh, you know, humans with different skill sets, helping each other, learning and growing from each other, then we're all the same. That's a phenomenal, you know, message that we all need to wake up to. Mm, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, I learned so much from you. So I know on, on, you know, my growth edge right now is really physical movement. I am mm. in balance in many areas of my life uh, otherwise. And one of these next pieces for me is the first thing that goes when I have this much work to do is my movement practice. Um, I do my meditation. I, I eat well. I sleep well. I've gotten a lot of things in order. Um, but that's something I really want people to know that I might write the book on it. I might have studied it for 20 years. I might be improving in many ways. Uh, and boy, there's still more to do. And uh, And I think that's the joy. Isn't mm -hmm. that the joy of being alive? I would be bored if I was like, yeah, I got it all down. I kind of mastered this place. Uh, I'm all done, right? I, I think I'd be bored pretty quickly. So, yeah. So, That's phenomenal. Wow. I'm so looking forward. So how can people pre-order your book now that we'll be publishing this before? I think in case they are listening to it after the book is published, I'll still put the put your website sure. in the show notes so they can access the book. Of course. So my website is intuitiveintelligenceinc.com. Uh, and it's I-N-T-U-I-T-I-V-E, I-N-T-E-L-L-I-G-E-N-C-E, I-N-C.com. And so you can always get it there. Um, anywhere that they sell books. So Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, any, any of the booksellers should have it. It's being published by McGraw Hill business. Mm -hmm. Uh, so they should be able to Google powered by me and then get it in, uh, in Amazon India, uh, for sure. So, you know, I'm, I'll be doing all sorts of bonuses and, you know, all sorts of talks. There'll be a launch party on the day of, um, on September 19th. And so whether you're listening to it uh, beforehand or after, um, just know it's the right time. It's exactly the right time for it to have ended up in your awareness. And uh, whatever I can do to answer questions, I'll be doing Q&As once the book's launched. Uh, I really want to stay engaged in the conversation and help as many people as I can. Fantastic. And I think when you look at the burnout evolving story and everyone who's had a history of burnout and when they come back, when I ask them, what did you learn from that? And if there is one thing we could zero it down to, it is, I am better at communicating my needs. Mm, yeah. I, I would say, because I think the essence of the book that you also spoke in that, and because I remember the, the conversation that we've had before about burnout and it's about communication and and also if you see the word community comes from commune 
communication. Yeah. It's a feeling of togetherness that I feel safe. Yes. Yeah, our inability to communicate with ourselves and each other is, uh, I firmly believe that makes us physically ill. Hmm. And uh, this wake up call of burnout reconnects us to how much it matters hmm. and to each other. And so I, I couldn't agree more. I absolutely think that it shakes us into a place where now we must include ourselves in the equation. Mm -hmm. And we must, I think burnout is boundaries anywhere. People say to me, where do I, how do I know I need to draw a boundary and where do I draw a boundary? I say anywhere there's a net drain of energy. It needs a boundary, mm. a healthy boundary, just like our bodies have, you know, each cell has a double phospho-bilayer membrane, right? Phospholipid bilayer membrane. Mother nature already knew this. She knows to keep the bad stuff out, let the good stuff in. You know, she kind of knows this whole thing. And I think we're we're just getting caught up to her. Mm. So we know that sometimes we have to learn how to draw healthy boundaries. And that's not being mean to other people. That's about really figuring out how you can have an inspired yes and be with the people you love and lead that in makes... a way that works for everyone, you know? I think that's going to be the skill that we all need in the coming age because everything else can be automated. <laughs> yeah, I think navigating our emotions, um, communicating yeah. in real time, yeah. healing, these are things that are an inside job. Yeah. And the inside job, uh, I'm not sure AI can take care of our our uh, unique ways in which we uh, need to heal. That's mm. That's still up to us. <laughs> So thank you so much, Neha. It was, as always, a lot of wisdom in this short conversation that we've had. Well, I, and I look forward to read your book in hand and definitely you'll spread the word. I love it and honored to be walking beside you on the journey. Thank you so much, Neha. Thank you for listening to Ayurvedic Healing and Beyond. If you loved and enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, share and review us. This helps to spread our mission of guiding humanity to becoming their healthiest self and also giving the right resources for holistic healing. If you wish to know more about my work, please do visit www.vigneshdevraj.com and if you are interested in doing an Ayurveda treatment or authentic Panchakarma therapy, please log on to www.sitaramretreat.com.